0: you're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Last week, uh, we were actually in this same text and uh, just felt like I should bring out some more truth from this this thought and john chapter 10 verse 22 is where we're going to start when you're there john chapter 10 verse 22 we we looked at this already i gave you some background last week we're going to just jump right in at 22 jesus it says and it was at jerusalem the feast of, ded- of the dedication does anybody remember what the feast was It was Hanukkah, Feast of the Dedication is is what they call Hanukkah now. It says, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, so he walks into Solomon's porch. He's going to the temple um, to celebrate the Feast of the Dedication, and they're waiting for him. The Jews are waiting, and it says that they came round about him, they surrounded him, And they said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. He said, Just look at the works. That's all you need to look at. He says, but ye believe not, verse 26, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Amen. Verse 30, though this is the controversial statement. He says, I and my father are one. Notice he's essentially saying, I am God. I am the son of God. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father for which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them and and then he goes on. I'm not gonna read the rest of it. That's really where I need to stop tonight. You know, here's Jesus. He says, all my works are all the evidence you need. Just look at what I've done. If you wanna know if I'm God, you don't wanna believe it really. But then he very plainly says there in verse 30, I and my father are one. And they did not like that answer. They said, tell us plainly, But they didn't want to hear the answer. And right there in the temple, during the Feast of the Dedication, they picked up stones to kill him. And it's amazing when you have a spirit of spiritual entitlement, what you will find yourself doing. Because they were okay with his good works, but they were not okay with submitting to him as their king. And like I said last week, they were okay with the benefits, but they did not want to submit to the demands. They were okay with the good things, but they didn't want to submit to the demands that he was making, and I call this a pretty heavy case of spiritual entitlement, and we'll look at that more as we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this opportunity to open your word together. And God, I, I think about families in the room that have needs and individuals who who may need something special tonight and and it's hard to, to know when you open God's word what it is that you can, you know, you really can't meet every need. But I am thankful that we have the Holy Spirit and that he can take these, some truth in this and apply it exactly to our situations. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us to do some evaluations of ourselves and make sure that we don't have a spirit of spiritual entitlement. God, help us to be willing to submit to the demands if we want the benefits. God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts. I pray that you'd speak through your word to our hearts. God, help us to be changed and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. They pick up stones to kill Jesus Christ. And they were upset the Jews were upset because they thought Messiah would come as a warrior. They thought he would stand on the mountain and declare war on Rome, but, they, but instead he came telling them that they're hypocrites. So they pick up stones because they didn't want to submit to that kind of a king. And I really think this is the first sign of entitlement is that they wanted a king that would do things their way. They wanted life done Their way definition by the entitlement definition is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment without having earned it. And if that doesn't describe our, our culture, I don't know what does. It's certainly happening in our culture. It's 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 definitely happening in in sports. It's certainly happening. Definitely in politics. It's happening in schools. It's happening in church culture as well. And right here in John 10, Jesus is not dealing with the publicans and the sinners. He's dealing with the Pharisees. He's dealing with those that would call themselves religious. He's dealing with those that are spiritually entitled. And so they pick up stones because they don't like what he has to say. And he he says in verse 32, which of these good works have upset you? Which Which works are you mad about? What good things that I've been doing, who did I heal that you didn't want me to heal? That's essentially what he's saying. And I said it last week that if Jesus Christ had done things the way they wanted, they would have had no problem with his claim to be God. If he had come with a sword in his hand, they would have said, okay, then we believe you're God. No, but they had an expectation that he didn't meet. And because of that, they wanted to stone him. And they, so he says, "Well, which of the good works that I've that I've performed are are what, what's making you upset?" And they respond, and in verse thirty two or thirty three, and said, "No, for a good work we stone thee not. It's not because of the good things that you're doing. It's that's not it. It's not the works we're upset about. It's because you blasphemed and you claimed that you're God. No, listen. What they're doing is they're not rejecting everything about Jesus." This is the ultimate entitlement mentality. They were okay with the parts that Jesus brought that benefited their lives. They were okay that he would come and do something good for them. They were okay with the the certain areas that benefited them. They were fine with the miracles. Uh, They didn't mind the works. They, They probably had loved ones who had been healed. They were happy with the benefits. They just didn't like the demands. Christ, so what are Christ's demands? What did he come demanding? Well, he came demanding an internal relationship instead of external religion. And you would think they'd be happy with that because in the end that would change the, the satisfaction they have in following God and that it wouldn't just be external, that it's internal, that it's real, but they didn't like that demand. What, was, uh, what were Christ's demands? Well, he came teaching submission to others instead of personal domination, which the Pharisees were very used to domination. They were used to being first. They were used to being the most heard. They were used to being in charge of other people. And Jesus Christ said, no, he came. And if you read the sermon on the mount, he came preaching submission, humility. What, what did he demand? Well, he came preaching and teaching love instead of a culture of fear. He came teaching humility instead of religious pride. And I mean, all of these things sound great, but they didn't like it. Yeah, see, it all flew in the face of everything that they believed and taught and demanded of the people they didn't want to change. So when he made demands, they picked up stones. But when he was healing their friends, when he was healing maybe their loved ones, when, when one of their, their brothers or their father or, or someone that, was there, that, that they loved and that they knew, when they were reaping the benefit, they were probably just fine with that. They were okay with the benefits, they just didn't want to submit to the demands. And I read a story just this week about a man in uh, Ireland, and, and, and he's calling for social reform so that he can receive benefits from the death of his, his longtime live-in girlfriend, This guy's name, his man's name is John O'Meara, and and he lived with his partner, Michelle, for years without getting married, long term. They didn't say in the article how many years. So when Michelle contracted COVID-19 in December of 2020, and she passed away in January of this year, he sought a widow's pension from her death. But because they'd never been married, he wasn't eligible for the pension, So the Department of Social Protection is going to bat for him, and and they're trying now to, and they, they state this, they're trying to redefine what constitutes a traditional family unit so that people like John can receive these kinds of benefits. The problem is living together without being married is not marriage. See, labor leader Alan Kelly, um, he, he said, in defense of Mr. O'Meara, he said, because they haven't got around to getting married, the state provides little or no support to John and his family. He's not entitled to any widow's pension. And he said, if you're a divorced couple, they're entitled to the widow's pension, but not if you just didn't get around to getting married. And listen, I have sympathy for his loss. I do. I mean, in, in no way... Um, being condescending or not being compassionate. I have sympathy for his loss, but this is a classic case of wanting benefits without submitting to demands. See, if Mr. O'Meara had loved Michelle biblically, he would have been willing to submit to marriage. And see, that's the demand. If you love somebody, you commit to them. And, And people that say that marriage isn't important and it's just a piece of paper... Uh, That doesn't really make sense to me because I turn it around and I say, so you're saying that your love or you don't love this person enough to have a piece of paper. So in the end, it really doesn't make sense. I mean, if you love somebody, you would be willing to commit to them. It's a tragedy that so many people these days in our culture and all around the world want the benefits of marriage before they submit to getting married. You know, you don't get the benefits without submitting to the demands. And the Irish Irish government even recognizes that still. You, You can't be entitled to that which you're unwilling to submit to. It's a principle that we all understand and we all get, and that's what the Pharisees in John 10 were doing. They wanted Christ's benefits, but they didn't want to submit to his demands. It was spiritual entitlement or religious entitlement, and part of the problem was that they had been doing things a certain way for a long period of time. Just like John and Michelle in that long-term relationship, they had grown used to the benefits without ever submitting to the demands, See, entitlement typically arises, in my experiences, it arises when things have been happening long enough to become an expectation. You do something long enough, you just expect it to continue. And, and, you know, this means that churches that have existed for a long time and people that have been saved for a long period of time might be more prone to entitlement than those who haven't done it, who haven't done it very long Because they haven't done it long enough to build up expectations. See, as far as I know, Eastside Baptist Church has existed for about 60 years. I think we may be coming up on an anniversary maybe this year. That's a long time. You know what? That's enough time for some things to be established. Eastside Baptist Church has had a... I'm just thinking about the building. It's had a wonderful new building for over 10 years. You know, that's long enough for expectations to be established. And for just for example, you know, um, I see I I was warm in the service this morning and I see some fanning themselves tonight. And, you know, if we had a building in which the air conditioner had never worked and we came in here tonight, we probably would be like, well, that's just what that's what happens in this building. But by getting a new building and having typically having air conditioning that works, you know, we come in and we're like, well, this is just wow, what's going on here? You maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're like, can we please have parkas? I mean, can we just hand those out at the Welcome Center, just check it out and bring it back, and we have plugs in the pews like they do in airline seats, and you can just plug in an electric blanket right there and get all cozy. That's the last thing we need, okay? People are already comfortable enough to close their eyes for extended periods of time. But you know, you have a building like this for long enough, and you start to develop some expectations. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's life. You know, many of us have been saved not just for years, we've been saved for decades. I've been saved for 34 years myself. Some in here have been saved much longer. And for those that have been in church or in this church or saved for any length of time, it may be that your expectations have been set to a certain threshold. You, You expect things to be a certain way, you have expectations of the preaching. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's natural if you've been doing it for any length of time. You have expectations of the music. You have an idea of where the sanctuary temperature should be. Yeah, you, you know how long the services should go. You, you know how the children's ministries should operate. Uh, you know where you should get to park. You know where you normally sit, and that's where you sit. And it bothers you if somebody sits in your... I mean, we shouldn't be that way, but we're human, I mean, it happens. We, we have an idea about how things could go if we've been doing this for any length of time. And listen, I'm thankful for anybody that's been in church long enough to have expectations. I think it's rare these days for people to be in church long enough to develop a set of expectations. But we have to be careful not to allow our expectations to creep into entitlement territory. It's okay to have expectations. You, we should have high expectations when we come to church. When you, listen, when you come in on Wednesday nights, and that's one thing I would love to see different is, is that when we come in on Wednesday nights, we're not just like, okay, well, I just have to leave, come to the service because we've got to do it. No, I want to come in on Wednesday nights, have anticipation. And we come and we expect something to happen, and we're excited about it happening, and you know, I, I, just like on Sunday morning there's a buzz of a- anticipation In Sunday night even to an extent it, you know, we should come every time with an expectation I'm not saying that expectations are wrong but as soon as the expectation trickles over into entitlement territory that's where we have a problem you know, where church becomes about meeting our expectations you know, involvement in a local church is not about getting your needs met you know, if you say that in a lot of churches these days, people would just be offended. I know it sounds opposite of modern philosophy and culture, but a couple months ago, I preached out of 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, let's, oh, let's go ahead and turn there, 1 Corinthians 14. You know, Paul, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul clearly states that church services aren't about us. It's not about meeting my expectations. It's not about um, getting what I can get out of it. 1 Corinthians 14, it says in verse one, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy or present truth for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understand of him. Howbeit in a spirit he speaketh mysteries, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. You know what Paul is saying? He's this. He says the superior virtue or the superior... Um, act in a church service is not tongues because if you speak in an unknown tongue and an or an unknown unknown language if you speak in an unknown language and nobody's there to interpret you're not really pointing any attention um, to anybody except yourself but if you'll speak prophecy or you'll declare truth he says that's edification and exhortation and comfort And you're not just about yourself, you're about helping somebody else. That should be our mentality when we come to church. Is that it's not about what we can get out of it, it's about how can I be a blessing to somebody else. He clearly is promoting the superiority of declaration of truth over tongues. One brings attention to truth, the other brings attention to the individual. Look down in verse 23. Verse corinthians 23 14 23 if therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers will they not say that ye are mad and I, i've been in a couple of services where that's going on and and without sounding too critical about certain movements i'm telling you in my in my mind i was thinking are they mad I wasn't used to it. It wasn't something I'd seen before. And I'm telling you, there was confusion. Verse 24, but if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or or one unlearned, he is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down... On his face, by the way, we looked at that this morning with Abraham falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. In other words, you aren't very convincing if we come in, if a guest comes in, a visitor, somebody unlearned, and we're all speaking in tongues, or we're all doing things that are drawing attention to ourselves, we're not convincing him of anything. But if we all come with the mentality that I will do whatever I can to edify somebody else, in other words, not make it about myself, but make it about somebody else, then he is convinced. The Bible says he's convinced that God is in us of a truth and he will fall down on his his face and worship God because he knows that God is in you of a truth. That's the difference in mentalities. One is not very convincing. When we come together as a church body and we make it all about ourselves, that's not convincing to any guests. But if we come in and I'm all about service. In other words, and folks, this looks a lot of different ways. I I don't want to get into that message again. But listen, when folks come in and if we would stand up, get up out of our pew and go meet somebody we don't know, that's convincing. Because if I sit in my pew and I don't stand up and I don't reach out to somebody and I don't make them feel welcome and I'm not friendly, I'm not convincing them of anything that they couldn't get at some restaurant or some other club or anywhere else in Sioux Falls. When they come in here, they should know that we want them here, that we love them and we're excited that they're here and we're not about ourselves. We're about reaching out to them and letting them know that we love them. Just last week we had a a group of people visit and they said this church was so friendly and we're so grateful for it and it's different than some other churches we've been to. And I just say, praise the Lord. You know what? They were convinced. They left convinced. And I hope that you will see Paul's point here is that when you come in to a church service, it's not about you, it's about other people. And I'm telling you, if you will be about other people when you come into a church service at Eastside Baptist Church, God will do a work in your heart. A church with an entitlement mentality will struggle to be convincing. It's, if it's all about me, then that's not convincing. Paul was talking about entitlement See, they wanted, when, when he's talking in 1 Corinthians 14, he's saying they want a benefit. The benefit that people that, that are speaking in tongues or making it about themselves, which by the way, the church at Corinth was really good about making things about themselves. It was a carnal church and it was showing up in the services. And so the benefit that they were searching for when people came in, the benefit was, look at me. And you say, well, that wouldn't be a benefit to me. I don't want anybody to look at me. Okay, that's fine. But for tr- the church at Corinth, that's what they wanted. They wanted the benefit. But what Paul was saying, no, what you need to do is forget the benefit and submit to the demand. The demand is that you for- forget about yourself and you reach out to somebody else. The benefit, yeah, we, we all of us, we wouldn't mind being front and center. I, I mean, I wouldn't mind getting a little attention or... Getting a little praise or maybe a little recognition. I mean, that's natural for all of us. And you say, well, not for me. I get it. Some people just don't like it. I get it. But, but listen, when you get recognized, it, it does feel pretty good. But, when Paul, but Paul said that that spirit can have a place in a New Testament church. That's a benefit, sure. But what we need to do is forget the benefit and submit to the demand. The demand is that we make our, our service about other people. Listen, if I was to sum up our individual role... In a church body, in a church family, I would say this. Here's what, you, here's what should define you as a member of Esai Baptist Church Sacrific- sacrificial service. Sacrificial service. That whatever it takes, when you come in, you're looking for ways to be a blessing. It's not about you. You want to do something for somebody else. Whatever way I can serve, whatever, whatever way I can I can I can edify, I will sacrificially serve. Listen, folks, if church follows, if the churches follow the trend of our culture, there won't be a lot of humility and sacrifice in service left in churches. We're seeing it in the way many churches function, frankly. There are all kinds of programs. If I was to sum up today's church cultures, I would say lots of programs, heavy on the programs, but light on the accountability. Heavy on what's offered, heavy on the programs, heavy on the things that, hey, come and you'll have this for your family and this and it'll be convenient and come at this time. I mean, you know, this, we've got just one service a week. That's all that's, that's demanded of you and, and they're not membership Churches. Having people ask that now, are you a membership church? Never really had that asked before. Meaning, though, there's a lot of churches out there that say, you don't have to even become a member, just come and enjoy the benefits. So there's no demands. There's no accountability. So we've got churches, modern church culture, that's heavy on on the benefits, but light on the demands, light on the accountability, heavy on the programs, light on accountability. One service a week. You know, just, just come as you are. You have multiple service options. Whatever's most convenient for you. You know, services are, um, you know, will cater the services to the guests. You know, in other words, and you see this all the time. You've got traditional worship and contemporary worship, pagan worship. No, no maybe not pagan worship. <laughs> Secular worship. I mean, all of these different, they're, but they, they're adjusting, to what people prefer and every service is adjusted to what what people prefer and and listen i understand not not every not Eastside's not going to be for everybody i get that um but if we were trying i mean if we were holding our finger up to the wind and and just getting a flavor what what is everybody like i'm telling you we would not be able to land anywhere Whatever's convenient, you know, we've got services that cater you what you like. We've got programs for every person of every age. There's no need to join. Just it's less about church. It's more about culture. And listen, I believe a church can contribute to the culture of entitlement if it continually adjusts to the expectation of every individual. You see, here's the problem. Where does it end? I mean, it's and I and I think I can say this. I think the word literal, by the way, the word literally is literally used way too much. It literally means nothing anymore. But I think this is true. It's literally imposs- impossible to please every person that comes to your church. If every person has a case of spiritual entitlement, if Eastside is a church where everybody has a case of a spiritual entitlement, we won't exist in 10 years. And I truly believe that. and Which is why tonight this isn't a message of intervention this is a message of prevention because i don't think that this spirit is prevalent here but because the culture all around us is all about entitlement i think it could be here and we've got to be careful of it what we need instead of making it about self we need sacrificial servants willing to put aside their conveniences and their desires and their preferences and their benefits and simply serve with the gifts and the opportunities that god has provided them so how do I know if I'm entitled? Well, I, I, found a, I found some stuff actually a few years ago. A man wrote an article named Daniel Henderson. He wrote an article and he asked a few questions about if you want to know if you're entitled or not. First one is this, am I often discontent? You know, it's a good sign that you have wrong expectations if you're continuously discontent. In that you have a view that, of God that He should provide these certain things for you, and He never does, and so there's there's this discontentment there. And really, what it is is it's unbelief. Is that you have an expectat- expectation of God that is not accurate, and when He doesn't supply in the way that you think that He should, then you become discontent. Uh, chances are, if you're cont- if you are often discontent, then you have wrong expectations. Here's another question, if you want to know if you're entitled, do I feel envy or resentment over the blessings somebody else seems to get? Do I feel envy or resentment when someone else receives blessings? You know, it's a sign of Christian maturity when you can be truly happy that somebody else is blessed or promoted or recognized. It's a sign of Christian maturity. But listen, there are a lot of churches that get torn apart by this very thing. That people, that, that don't, they, they, get, they don't get recognized and somebody else does. And they're thinking, well, I did just, just as much as they did. And it causes problems. I'm telling you, it causes problems in a lot of churches. And that's why, I mean, as a pastor, I, mean, I would love to recognize every time somebody does something really, really good as a blessing for Eastside Baptist Church. And I can look at just about every person in this room and say, I'm really thankful they do this and that. But as soon as I do that and I leave one person off the list... There's an offense. And, and it. sometimes it's easier just, I'm, I'm not saying that it'll always be that way. So at some point, you have to do what's the right thing to do if you need to recognize somebody or point something out. But this is a major issue, is that we have a tough time not being resentful or envious when someone else receives blessings. If you're a mature Christian, you you can be thankful with whatever lot in life God has placed you in. Another question about entitlement, if you want to know if you are, am I disappointed with life? Once again, this points back to, Im- back to imbalanced or self-focused expectations. Another question is, do I doubt God's faithful provision for me? Discontentment is like pointing a finger at God and saying, that's not fair you're not fair, you haven't done what I thought you should, and I'm not happy about it. You know, we'd never consciously point our finger to heaven and say it. But when you're discontent, then it is essentially that's what you're doing. Another question would be, do I often unfavorably compare myself and my situation with that of others? Once again, for us to expect God to give us as much as everybody around us is a dangerous mindset. It'll make us very discontent. So I'm asking tonight, how did you answer those questions? I mean, if any of those raised red flags in your heart, I'm often discontent, I'm envious or resentful of somebody else, I'm disappointed, I doubt God's provision, I compare myself unfavorably with other people. Listen, it may be time for a self-examination. I'm concerned about spiritual entitlement because of our culture, because of church cultures, because we're prone to pride. I mean, I'm also, though, concerned about it as a mindset right here. Not because it's prevalent, but because this is the flock God has placed me in. And I see it everywhere. And I, you, do, you can't be around something that much and not have it start to trickle in to your mindsets. You know, we, we've got to be mindful that we stay away from this mentality. I just want to give you some marks of a church that might tend towards spiritual entitlement. And I believe these, just a few, these things can help us evaluate where we are. And here are some marks of spiritual entitlement. Here, with churches that seek benefits without demands, here are the kind of things they tend to do. They have frequent conflicts. You know, James chapter 4, he said, From whence come wars and fightings among you? He said, Come they not hence even of your lusts that were in your members? Ye lust and have not. In other words, you want something for yourself, you don't get it, you kill and desire to have, you can't get it, you cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. It's a big problem in, 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 in those people's lives, and I think it's a big problem in some churches. The infighting, the conflict, the pettiness. They were fighting, listen, they were fighting and battling because of personal lust, because of pride. And James said, You want the benefits of answered prayer for personal gain, but you don't want to submit to the demands of humility before your brethren. In other words, God is not going to be pleased with that spirit, He's not going to answer your requests. You have not because you ask not because you ask amiss that you can consume it upon your lust. Listen, you can't, you can't make demands unless, you, unless you're will You can't enjoy benefits unless you're willing to submit to demands. And part of being a church family is that we submit in humility one to another. James clearly said they would have, wouldn't have benefits of God's help and grace until they submitted to the demand of Christian love. Now it sounds like that unforgiving servant who received his master's forgiveness and really was thankful for it and then went out and those that owed him, he refused to forgive them. You know what that is? That's somebody who, who enjoys the benefits of forgiveness but won't submit to the demands of a follower of Christ to forgive others even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And if you have an unforgiving spirit in your heart, then you are a spiritually entitled Christian. Because God has forgiven you, you've received it gladly, and yet somebody else in your life, because of something they said, or something they did, or something that, some look that they gave you, or something that you perceived, you won't forgive them. You've received the benefits from heaven, but you won't submit to the demands on a Christian. And that's a, that's a bad place to be if you go, we're not going to go and read there in Matthew about that servant that refused to do it. But here's, but God says, I'll forgive you like you forgive other people. And if you refuse to forgive other people, forget that benefit. We won't enjoy the benefits of forgiveness until we submit to the demands of forgiveness. And listen, a lot of forgiveness is needed in a church family. I wish it was easier. Sometimes it's not. If we have frequent conflicts, then I think we probably have a spiritually entitled environment. Can I just say, I'm thankful we don't have a lot of conflicts because I, I, I think that it points to the fact that we're not spiritually entitled people. But we could be. All it takes, folks, is one offense that you can't get over. All it takes is one critical spirit. And I'm telling you, it's like a plague in a church family. And it will, from the inside out, it will destroy the spirit that we have. So here's another mark of a church that seeks benefits without demands. So if they have frequent conflicts is number one. But number two, they have a perception that the staff are just hired employees. I know that's a strange application, but I was trying to think about how does this show up? And I I bring this one up because we have a staff member coming this week. It's the first uh, assistant pastor Eastside has had in almost five years. And when I came to candidate, I had people of the church, many people ask him, so are you going to bring somebody on? Are you going to bring an assistant on? And it's been a long time coming, and I felt like this was the one, and I was willing to wait. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to this. I believe that Brother Samuel and Miss Brielle have have a lot to bring to Eastside Baptist Church. And what Brother Samuel can bring to the music program, listen, I cannot wait to see what happens. You know, music is, is, is close to my heart. And, and for those that, that hadn't heard, Brother Samuel on Thursday uh, won the Graduate Music Award for his class at Heartland. And for four years, he put groups together, and they sang this week. One of the groups he put together, they sang, and, and it was awesome. And I was just thinking, yes. And I was thinking, you know, instead of having a choir director like this, you know, can have a guy with two arms leading the, leading the choir again. You know, he's going to bring a lot to the table, and I'm thankful for it. He he's a he's a solid music guy. I'm grateful for that. Um, and he's a they're going to be fine staff members, and he'll also be working with the young people. We'll we're going to have a transition in the next few weeks with Brother Heath and Miss Diana. And I just want to say I, I'm so grateful for the chambers. And he, Brother Heath and Miss Diana, they've loved these young people. They stepped in when Brother stepped left. And they faithfully served in that spot for four and a half years. As a layman, and if you look at Brother Heath and Miss Diana, their involvement, their plate at Eastside is already full. And they're involved in many other ministries. They're a key part of our church i mean brother heath has a family business listen it's a load and i'm thankful for their service brother samuel and miss miss Abriel come they're going to be able to take that and and focus on that they're going to be able to carry on what's already been established in our young people's department they'll bring they're going to bring a lot to that i really believe they will be a blessing in a, in a lot of areas I know they're going to come looking to be a blessing. But listen, if you'll notice, I've been careful to say what we, that we want to be a blessing to them. I mean, every time I talk about them, they're, listen, they're not just coming to make our lives easier. And that's easy for me as the pastor and the things that I work on through the week or take care of. I, I mean, I could be, them, but I better not be like that. You're not coming just to take stuff off my plate. And I, listen, staff are here to serve. They are. We are. But like I said last week, a staff-run church is a staff-ruined church, and I really believe that. And here's why I say that, meaning this is a body meant to function with every person in place. And I've seen it, churches that lean too heavily on their staff and the church members have a tendency, when that happens, they kind of just sit back and let it happen. And I'm, I'm thankful that that hasn't happened here and especially not having a large staff. The last few years, I feel like we've got a good, a good system, a good foundation in place and that, that, that people serve and they take care of things. But we've got to be careful because it can happen in a church that we, we say, well, the staff comes in and they start doing everything. And we say, well, listen, just let them do it. That's what they get paid for. And if you've ever said that, I want to ask you to reconsider that out of your your vocabulary because it's easy to say well that's what they get paid for Um, but listen you are just as compelled in your role in your place as a member of the body and whatever responsibility God's placed you in you're just as compelled to be faithful and to be on time and to do it well and to do it with excellence and to be as involved as you possibly can be as somebody who does get paid by the church because a staff can come, you know this, a staff can come and go, but you will, you'll still be here. And I hope we don't get to the place that we think, well, we've got a staff member, let's just let him do it. That's not his, his role. You have a role. A body doesn't work by saying, okay, yeah, uh, 80% of the parts can just sit around for a while. Let the 20% of the most active parts do the work. The rest of us are just going to sit here and ride along. No, every member contributes. Including, but not limited to, the Hardee's and the Jets. We all have a place. You know, not having much staff here. Staff has, I believe, has helped it, but we just need to be careful. Would you do this? Commit to be more involved. More involved. And excel and improve in your ministry when the Hardee's arrive. Don't say, oh, they're here. Okay. It's time to coast. Like We're going down the hill now. I can put it into neutral. I don't have to step on the gas. No, when they get here, I mean, I think that when they get here, just say, I'm going to commit to do more and be more involved and be, do more excellence in my ministries than I've ever had. If you've, and just say, just stay away from, hey, that's what we pay them for. And say, no, Christ paid for me. And therefore, I'm just as compelled to be involved and faithful as anybody that's ever been on staff. Is another mark of, of possible spiritual entitlement is that it turns our giving into paying our dues. It, meaning this can happen in two ways. It can be a mindset that says, Well, I give a lot, so you know, that's enough. And you know, and I think that there have been at times, probably people like that, that say, you know, I give a lot, I give a significant amount, and therefore, you know, I I don't have to contribute in a lot of other ways. And friends, faithful giving is a huge blessing, okay? As a pastor, it would be counterproductive for me to say, don't be big givers. I'm not saying that. But we don't need those with a mindset that believe their financial contributions exempt them from contributing through service. I'd rather have a church full of people with small bank accounts but hearts to sacrificially serve than those with big bank accounts who wouldn't lift a finger. Even better, big bank accounts, sacrificial servers, okay? (laughs) And I think Americans can be this way when it comes to missions. Sometimes I think, you know, we think, well, we're the ones that are kind of bankrolling missions around the world. And so we give and we give and we're faithful to give but we've not invited our neighbors to church. And we wouldn't really probably ever think about God calling us because, you know, we're giving and that's good enough. No, don't ever get to the point where we think, well, we're financing missions and what we're doing is enough. No, God called us to go. You have a responsibility to take the gospel to the people around you. And giving is great but going is also biblical you know here's another way giving turns into paying dues and you say well i give so much that i can demand uh, that things are done my way if we all had that mentality I, we would not survive as a church again i'm telling you you know and you elect leadership to be discerning and make some decisions like that just trust the, that the lord leads the leadership there's a definite effort to be a good steward while doing our best to be constantly and continuously improving our areas of ministry while also being a blessing to others like we were able to be for the Ruckmans a couple weeks ago. And like I talked to you about last Sunday about a bless, being a blessing in the offering to Heartland this week. And, you know, missions, those are big, important missions, projects and, and, and mission-supported efforts that, that we're fully behind and It allows us, your giving allows us to do that, um, but be careful of ever getting to the place where you say, well, I give, and so I can decide how everything's run around here. I'm not sure that's the right way to do it. If we do that, then we've got tonight maybe 150 people with 150 different opinions about how things should be done, and I'm telling you, it just will not, it won't survive. There are other marks of spiritual entitlement. I, I don't want to, I can't go into all of them, but I want to give you just a few practical ways to combat it. You don't have to remain entitled. Here's one thing you can do if you feel like there might be some spiritual entitlement. Choose humility. Philippians 2 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. It says, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. You know, you know, this is how a church is supposed to function. You know, there are some churches where everyone's at odds all the time, and this one's vying for the position, and this one's vying, and this one's vying for power and influence, and this one's vying for it. You know what Jesus Christ said, or Paul said about Christ? He said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, in verse 5. Back up in verse 2, he says, Here with the, here's what the mind of Christ looks like. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things... ...but every man also on the things of others. That's again, that's, the, that's Bible philosophy when it comes to church. When you come in the service, look not every man on his own things... ...look every man also on the things of others. How can I be a blessing? How can I reach out to somebody else... How can I be an encouragement? How can I be edifying? I mean, you're just looking for ways. That's the way we should think when it comes to ministry and service. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what did he do? He, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. You know, you talk about somebody, like I said last week, who deserved to be entitled. Jesus Christ. And yet he came looking Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let each esteem other better than themselves. That's how he came. So for us, in a church setting, if we want to avoid entitlement or we want to come out of entitlement, we can choose humility. You know humility is a choice. And we say, well, no, he's just so humble. I love Avery Shirley. I'm telling you, I love the guy. When they announced his name this week at graduation, you just hear the buzz from all of his fellow graduates. They they love him, and he's he's like a rock star at Heartland. I'm just telling you. I know that's a terrible analogy. Sorry, Christian rock star. (laughs) That's not any better. (laughs) You know the he's what I love about Avery. He's so humble. And he would hate for me to talk about him like this. But his humility draws you to him. Did you know there's some days I guarantee that Avery doesn't feel like being humble? Is that right? Probably. Miss Sue's like, yeah. <laughs> but you know, he, it's, in my opinion, it seems like he always chooses it. Did you know humility is a choice? If you read Philippians 2, Jesus Christ made a choice. He made a choice. He said he was in the form of God... ...thought it not robbery to be equal with God... ...but made himself of no reputation. And you say... ...well I'm just not a humble spirit like Brother Avery... ...and I just don't have that spirit. No, it's not about a spirit. It's about a choice. And the best way to battle sin... ...rooted in pride like entitlement... ...is to have the mind of Christ. If anyone was entitled... ...it was him. He chose humility. And if you have his mind... You can too. So if you want to battle uh, entitlement, choose humility. Second, if you want to battle entitlement. So choose humility's first. If you want to battle entitlement, second, practice gratitude. And I could give you tons of verses on this. In everything, give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5, for this is the will of, God, of Jesus concerning you. There's countless verse after verse. I could read you verses after verse after verse about the need for gratitude. But listen, I believe the primary reason people become entitled is number one, because they're full of pride. Because we are. But second, because they focus on what they don't have. And they fail to be thankful for what they do have. You want to become entitled real quick? Stop focusing on the blessings God has already give you and start looking around and wishing you had what somebody else has. And you'll be thinking, I deserve that too. I deserve that privilege. I deserve that blessing. No, if you, listen, if you want to stay away from entitlement, give thanks all the time. Don't, Don't ever take for granted what you have. That will keep you from being entitled. And like I said last week, once one realizes they're entitled to nothing, they become grateful for everything. So practice gratitude. First is choose humility, second practice gratitude 1 Thessalonians 5:18. Third, if you want to avoid the entitlement mentality, get busy. Just get busy. See, entitlement is often a mark of those not doing the work. And that's just the case. Entitlement is often the mark of those just just aren't contributing. It's easy to be discontent when you're not responsible for anything. And listen, if you will get busy and get more involved and get more invested, you're going to find yourself not taking as much for granted. See, people that have been working and have been involved and have been serving and have been investing and pouring themselves into it, they don't take everything for granted because they were there as it was being built. People that work for something often also take better care of things. you want to avoid entitlement, get busy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I never really thought of it like this until this week, but he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Look, he says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Now listen, he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. And he wasn't bragging See, he labored more abundantly because he didn't take God's grace for granted. You know what the answer will be for you if you're entitled and you're taking things for granted? Just get busy. Start serving, start working start laboring, and labor more abundantly than anybody you know. And you say, what I'm entitled, I have these expectations that aren't really fair, and they're not really godly, and I have this sense of pride, and I'm not really thankful for what I have, and I'm not choosing humility. You know what, I'm just going to get busy, and I'm going to pour myself into the work of God, because I have God's grace in my life, and I don't want to take that for granted. If you'll be more invested, you know what you'll discover? You'll You'll discover that you're suddenly less critical, Entitled people are often not very invested and they're often very critical. But if you've poured yourself into the work of God right here at Eastside Baptist Church, you'll find yourself being a lot less critical than you you used to be when you weren't really involved in much of anything. You know, I I don't think that we are, but I think we ought to take some steps to prevent a mentality of spiritual entitlement. If we're discontent, let's, let's take some steps. If we resent the blessings of other people, let's, let's get that right. If we're disappointed with some area of our life, uh, it's time to be thankful for what we do have. If we doubt God's provision for us, it's just time to trust God's sovereignty. If we compare ourselves with others, stop comparing ourselves with others. and compare, compare yourself to the standard you have, which is Jesus Christ. If you have regular conflicts, then we might be spiritually entitled and it might be time to examine. If we view staff or people that get paid as the ones who should be doing all the work, we might be spiritually entitled. If we view our giving as more about paying dues than obedience, then that might be a church that likes the benefits but isn't really all that excited about the demands. You know, and if those things describe us, then it's time to choose humility... And practice gratitude and just get busy. Because entitled people aren't humble. And entitled people, um, they're not grateful. And entitled people, they're usually not very busy. But if you want to avoid entitlement, choose humility, practice gratitude, and get busy. And let's see what God can do with Eastside in the future. If, we, if it's full of humble, sacrificial Grateful servants. I'm telling you, the future is bright unless we let the culture affect our mindsets. Let's avoid that and let's be a church that says, you know what, we enjoy the benefits, but even if there weren't a lot of benefits, we'd still be willing to submit to the demands. Because I serve a Savior that was willing to to submit to some serious demands. And you know what he benefited? I mean, he got me and he got you. Just a bunch of sinners. Only sinners saved by grace. That's what he got. And for him, it was worth it. That's fine. I'm not sure I would think I would be worth it. But he thought I was, and I'm grateful for it. And if my Savior would be willing to submit to those kind of demands for this benefit, then all those spiritual benefits that he offers boy, it should be really not much at all for me to submit to whatever demands are required of me. I don't want to be spiritually entitled. I don't think that you do either. Let's take some steps to avoid it tonight. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.